The Labor of Love, a podcast about marriage, family, and making peace with the people we live with. I'm Lori Leibovich, editor of RealSimple.com, and today we're going to talk about a struggle that is very familiar to most of us, how to carve out enough time in the day to nurture our relationships, our work, and ourselves. In a recent Washington Post article, Jennifer Meir, a writer and mother living in Connecticut, captured this frustration. She wrote, The days are short and yet so long. All I want is for everyone to go to bed, and then they do, and there's still more to get done. I seem to spend my day both trying to stop time and speed it up simultaneously. Joining me today to talk about how to prevent our hectic schedules from ruining us and why it might require a major shift in the way we think about time management is Jennifer Meir, the author of the article I just quoted, and Laura Vanderkam, the author of several books about time management and productivity, including I Know How She Does It, How Successful Women Make the Most of Their Time. Hi, everyone. Hi, Lori. Hi, Lori. Jennifer, let's start with you. The thing that was so interesting to me about your article was that you mentioned another article that was in the Harvard Business Review that talked about the way we should be managing our time is not really measuring it in time. It's more about energy, and it's about making sure that we have the energy and the presence to enjoy the time that we are spending with people. Can you talk a little bit about that article and why you were so moved by it? Yeah, so I had just sort of stumbled upon that piece, and it was sort of a mind-blown moment because, you know, I was sort of obsessing over this concept of am I ahead, am I behind, how many more minutes are in the day, and what the authors in that study say is time is a finite resource, so no matter how much you obsess over it, it's not going to change the outcome, but energy is infinitely renewable, and they define energy as the capacity to work, and they sort of talk about this study they did at Wachovia and different bank branches, but I sort of saw this broader application to parents and to my life as a stay-at-home mother, that if I made sort of these personal investments in my energy, would that give me a greater capacity to work and handle the inevitable amount of transactional stuff that was going to come at me during the day? And even if it didn't, I was going to be infinitely happier either way. So can you talk a little bit about how you actually do that in your life, how you make yourself um, more energized in order to do all the tasks that are at hand? I want to say that there's some sort of model that I follow every day, but I, I feel that there isn't. I mean, I am an infinitely nicer, better, more productive, and generally competent parent with a shower and a cup of coffee. I almost always try to read something every day, a few blog posts from my favorite bloggers, a chapter from one of 10 different books I've got going on right now. I've sort of stopped reading self-help and parenting books because they felt a little too much like homework when I was curled up at night in my fuzzy pajamas, so I read fiction. And I joined a book club that was only me and my son, who's seven. That's great. So, And they're not major stuff, but they're tiny things that don't take major amounts of time that I've sort of committed to doing every day. There are things that I do at the beginning of the day or during the day or look forward to at the end of the day, sort of help me move along. And has it been hard to carve out that time, even though it isn't a lot of time? I think there are days where I think about it, commit to it in the morning, and think that was a total success. And then there are days where I completely forget everything that I am telling you right now and that I wrote about (laughs) in the Washington Post. And do it all wrong. And 
again and that hamster in the wheel, and I run and run and run until I fall over. And at the end of the day, when I fall over like a miserable mess, I get up and go, oh, my God, I totally forgot. I totally forgot to do anything for myself today, and that is why I feel like this right now. So I feel like it is a, it's sort of like Groundhog Day. You constantly do have to wake up every day, at least for me, and commit again to remember to put your own oxygen mask on before you help others. Laura, what does this sound like to you? Do you think it makes sense for us to focus less on to-do lists sometimes and more on renewing our energy? Well, I don't think these two things are actually opposed. I think that both are important. We can manage time in the sense of many of us spend time on low-value activities that if we're aware of that, we can trade those for higher-value activities. Plenty of people watch TV they didn't mean to watch, and if they substituted something that was more meaningful, like a hobby or interacting with loved ones, they'd be much happier. So sometimes it really is a matter of time. But in other cases, yes, we can do more if we are renewing our energy. And as I've studied people and how they spend their time, I find that those who really do have energy for their full busy lives are often good about making sure that they get enough sleep, get exercise, which is another thing that tends to renew people's energy or have conversations with people whose opinions they they value. That tends to be another thing that renews our, our energy. So all of these things are really important. I wonder, Jennifer, if you when you made a conscious decision to do this in your own life, did you have to get over any guilt? I think a lot of times women especially feel guilt when they take time for themselves because there's so many other people who they are responsible for. Massive amounts of guilt. I think guilt is a a shockingly powerful motivator. So I can often talk myself out of simple things I can do for myself physically and emotionally in the name of helping my kids and fitting more in. I think the concept of being a parent as a noun versus parenting as a verb is kind of a modern one, and that's where this guilt factor plays in. We're sort of very conscious of the need. There's sort of some sort of social pressure to parent our children seemingly 24 hours a day or at least be accessible to them all the time. And that plays out in all sorts of kind of funky and toxic ways for us and for them. We end up doing so much transactional stuff and there becomes this kind of unhealthy codependent relationship between us and our kids. It reinforces to our kids that doing the most each day equals living at its highest level, which is not true, and that love equals letting other people's needs trump your own. And I worry the most about that last one. That's a very dangerous precedent for our children. So I think the way that you frame this is that it has to be yourself or your children. It doesn't have to be either one. I think what the authors kind of are saying in this study is that if you make small investments in yourself over the course of your day, it will give you infinite more capacity to help you get all the rest of it done, and there shouldn't be any guilt in that. Laura, do you, when you're talking to people about their own productivity or when you've studied people, have you found guilt to be a barrier to people's ability to do, to make time for themselves? Well, I think we talk about it a lot. In some ways, uh, guilt is a a wee bit self-indulgent to think that we are so necessary for everything that we should feel guilty if we uh, step back from other people for just one second. So, I mean, I, I always am happy to see when people are just like, well, this is what I want to do, and I do it, and 
I tend to solve other problems when I need to as well. And, and certainly many of the successful people I've studied have elected to do things like leave for a workout at lunch. And yes, you are technically not at your desk for 45 minutes, but Earth does not crash into the sun when you leave. And uh, if you're more productive in the afternoon because you had that break, then all is well with the world. And guilt is a, a useful emotion in the sense of us being social animals. It helps us heal rifts within the tribe. But key to that is that you've actually done something wrong that's hurt someone. And if no one has been hurt, which the vast majority of things we are talking about here, no one has actually been hurt, then it doesn't really seem to make sense in that case. Laura, you've written extensively about working smarter, not necessarily harder. How do you apply that concept to families and relationships? Well, I think that key to working smarter, not harder at the workplace is knowing what you intend to do with the day, have a limited to-do list for it, and uh, making sure that those are the most important things, uh, and making sure you get through them. And it can be very similar with family time. Uh, Most of us do not make priority lists for family time, which in some level it sounds really sad (laughs) to be making priority (laughs) lists for your personal time. But on the other hand, if you think of it as like wonderful things I would love to be doing with the people I care about, that makes it sound a little bit better. And if you make a short list of that, then you can wind up enjoying your time together so much more than having it be this kind of death march through dinner and bath and homework (laughs) and bed. You know, and so just saying, well, tonight I would like to, um, you know, read this story with my kids or, you know, let's break out the colored pencils tonight or it's beautiful weather, let's go for a family walk in the evening or just having some idea of something that would be fun to do with your loved ones can, can help you use this time smarter instead of just harder, as it were. I think something that Jennifer touches on in her article, which you just mentioned as well, Laura, is this idea that the treadmill that many of us are on, whether we work outside of the home or inside of the home, whether we're parents or not parents, we're all very, very busy. And sometimes, as Jennifer described, you want time to speed up. You just want the day to be over. And then yet you also have a lot of nostalgia for what has passed. And I think parents feel that very acutely. I'm wondering, Jennifer, if you have found ways to sort of stop or at least slow down your treadmill during the day so that you are present even in the moments that are kind of rote and, as Laura said, the death march of bath and bedtime. (laughs) I did like that description a lot. Yes, me too. It felt Um, very familiar. I think there's there's sort of two parts to that. One is there are those moments, and everyone has them as parents, that you just, you can't really dress up, right? You know, I'm kind of thinking of this post that Glenn and Melton over at Momastery wrote called Carpe Diem, where she's in Target with her three children, and they're all screaming and pitching a fit. And a woman comes up to her and says, isn't this so amazing? Isn't this terrific? Aren't you loving every single second of it? And she looks at the woman and is like, absolutely, I know, I am not, I'm not (laughs) loving any part of this moment. And that's reality. I mean, sometimes everyone cries, and everyone drops their goldfish, and the baby poops, and everyone's fighting, and you're just, that's, you just want out of that moment. That's reality. But sometimes, even when life is really good, it can feel and be overwhelmingly transactional. And I do have a little mantra that I sort of have worked out for myself. When I land in this place and I sort of say to myself, this is water. And it comes from an essay that I read by David Foster Wallace, the late author. An essay is from my Kenyan college commencement back in 2005. And he argues that the real work of life is 
often not exciting, can be very monotonous, but sometimes that is all the stuff of life. And if you think of it as anything less than the holy work that it is, you will just miss it. You'll get stuck in the minutiae and you'll just totally miss all of it. You'll miss this life. And so when I sort of feel myself swallowed up by the transactions and the cooking and the kissing of the boo-boos and the laundry and the lunches and all that stuff, I will literally say to myself out loud sometimes, like, this is water. This is the good stuff. There really isn't more out there than this. And that's what I hold on to. That's a beautiful sentiment. Thank you for sharing that. One more question for you, Laura, is when we are trudging through the minutia, and you mentioned television earlier as something that we often get stuck on and we, you know, you can look up from a show or, or in many people's case, the computer and realize that you've wasted an hour. What are some other ways and places and hidden traps that we all fall into where we're wasting time that we, sh- we don't necessarily need to be and how could we be using it better? Well, one thing I certainly tell moms in particular is that there is no 11 p.m. home inspection. No one is coming to your house at night to make sure that all the toys are picked up, everything <laughs> is in its proper place, and yet people will spend that valuable time after the kids go to bed picking up again, you know, and, and you'll never get that hour back. So it mm-hmm. might be better to use it for something more enjoyable, something more meaningful, whether that's uh, reconnecting with your partner or reading a good book or taking a bath or, you know, going for Sleeping. a walk if your partner can stay with the kids or whatever it is. But that's time you can have, but many of us choose not to have out of, I don't know, some idea that, again, somebody's going to come inspect your house at 11 p.m. and it better be clean. <laughs> so that would be, that would certainly be one. But as we were talking about things that make time slow down, I think this is really a function of filling our memories with things, that time appears more expansive in in retrospect if there was more that was filling it. And and it's often tempting to be like, I want to keep things as simple as possible. I don't want to do anything. It's always a hassle to do stuff, particularly if you have small kids. But doing things is what adds to that memory store. So trying to consciously break the rut sometimes of of doing that, you know, march toward, toward bed without anything changing at all is important for making these days stand out as, as kind of the jewels they really are. I think it's, you know, it's funny you said that. I think that if you were to ask at least my children and maybe other children, when they, when we reminisce and we talk about things that they remember, it's always the things that I did that was sort of unexpected for them, where like at bedtime I said, oh, instead we're going to go out for ice cream tonight. Or when there's a surprise in the schedule and you are not doing the quote right thing. So I think that's a really important point about those are the times that create these memories. It's not the bath. <laughs> <laughs> Although bath can be fun, too, if you load yes. the kids in, like, the master bath with the jets, you know, and, and go for that. <laughs> I wanted to just touch on something that we haven't really talked about, which is we've talked about children and how they can sort of throw a wrench in our time clocks. But what about relationships? What about partnerships? And how do we make sure that those don't those relationships don't get swallowed up by the march. And do you have any, either of you have any suggestions about that? I mean, I, at least for me, I 
would be anxious to hear what Laura has to say here. I'm always looking for advice in this area, but I would say my time with my husband always comes for better or for worse in these sort of, I think of them as the not hours, like we're not working, we're not putting someone to bed, you know, we're not repairing the house from what must look like a botched burglary attempt to others, but is really just post-dinner with the children. So we always sort of happen in these after not hours, and we really have to make it count whenever it does, and we have to both, we have to show up, we have to fully engage on some sort of non-kid, non-logistic-related topic, which takes more work than you would think. So sometimes you just sort of end up talking in this sort of Western Union-style type shorthand, <laughs> like, don't forget the flu shot, did you pack his lunch, tomorrow is Cub Scouts. And then you realize like you haven't actually had an, an actual conversation with your partner in like two weeks. So we don't do big stuff, but we, we've been working really hard on the small stuff. Like we show up together for the Mets game. We're going to watch Homeland. Like, we're going to read this news story together. Like, we try to participate in something together that isn't about all this stuff. Laura, what are your thoughts on that and finding time for a relationship? Well, I do think that it's something that people just have to make a priority. And one of the best things kids can have is a stable marriage from their parents and or partnership, at least, whatever it is, arrangement you have. And, and so having time invested in that is, is really time you are giving your children, even if it is time that you are away from your children. It doesn't have to involve a babysitter and a big night out. It can, and that's great when people make it happen. But um, if that's the bar, then sometimes it's just really hard to meet that. But, you know, sharing a glass of wine after the kids go to bed is a great substitute for picking up the house. <laughs> so that would be a, a better thing to do some night, you know, carving out two nights a week to make that happen. It can really go a long way. But, you know, honestly, some people do even more profound things than that. One of the best things I've seen is people sharing a ride to work one day a week, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit out of the way, but that's a, day, a date you have that it would have been wasted time otherwise. Some couples even get up a little bit earlier in the morning in order to have coffee or breakfast together before other people start stirring if that if you've got old enough children where that's possible and and so there are all sorts of creative ways to build it in it doesn't have to be bowling on friday night it can be many other things and one more question for both of you how one of the things that happens a lot of the time at least among parents that i know is that the weekends become this time where they have all of these expectations of having fun and relaxing with their families, but there's so much that needs, quote, needs to get done that didn't get done during the week that it becomes more tasks, more, you know, lots of errands, groceries, and all of these things that aren't necessarily that meaningful but need to get done. Do you have any tips, Laura, in particular, for how to manage weekends? I do. Great. <laughs> but yes, this is a major temptation. I mean, just it is so easy to lose weekends either into attempting to do nothing, which is absolutely impossible. You cannot do nothing <laughs> when you have young kids. You'll be just chasing after them and be exhausted by the end of it. Or, you know, they disappear into errands and children's activities. So if you want to have fun, on weekends as a grown-up parent, 
you need to think through them ahead of time. And ideally, you think through them by Wednesday, because then you can make any arrangements you need to make um, ahead of time. And just think about what are two or three things that would add to my energy level over the course of the weekend. Now, you know, there's all these other things that may have to get done. Um, It's important to keep them somewhat in perspective, but they may have to get done. But think about what are just two or three things that I know would add to my energy levels, and then what do I need to do in order to make sure they happen. And so if you want to go for a run on Sunday morning, then you just need to bring this up with your partner and say, I'm going to try and slip out before everyone wakes up. But just so you know, I won't be there. (laughs) I'm just letting you know that now. Or if you need to book a babysitter for something, or if you want to get coffee with a friend and need to trade off with a, a partner or find a sitter or whatever that is, Those are all things that you can think through ahead of time, and then you can look forward to them and know that they're going to happen, and that keeps the weekend from being totally lost to other people's priorities. That's great advice, Laura. Thank you. I want to thank Jennifer Meir for being on the show today. Jennifer is a mother and writer living in Connecticut who blogs regularly at My Generation. That's J-E-N-N hyphen E-R-A-T-I-O-N. And Laura Vanderkam is the author of several books about time management and productivity, including I Know How She Does It, How Successful Women Make the Most of Their Time, and What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast. Thanks, Laura. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for joining me today on The Labor of Love. If you have a domestic quandary and would like to be a guest on our show, or if there's a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, please email us at tlolpodcast at gmail.com. I'd like to thank our producer, Tim Einenkel. If you enjoyed the episode, please review and subscribe on iTunes, where you'll also find three more podcasts from Real Simple. You can subscribe to The Labor of Love at iTunes.com slash Panoply or at Panoply.fm. I'm Lori Leibovich, and I'll see you next time on The Labor of Love.